Hello, friends, and welcome to this week's episode of Bantering the Blue Shirt. See, I remember the name of the show, Tom. Um, this week, I am joined by Tom and special guest Adam Herman, also from Blue Shirt Banter. How are you guys doing? I'm great. I'm doing quite swell. Um, Adam is here. We're going to dig into his New York Rangers prospect rankings, which is a always a much-anticipated and much-read and much-clicked uh, <laughs> story series that we have every summer. And it's fun, especially this time around, because the Rangers prospect pool has never been more important and also really has never been quite this deep. So it's fun to have a look at that. But before we get into that, I wanted to address uh, a new member of the Blue Shirt Banner family, uh, Joe and his wife. Proudly welcoming into the world, uh, little Joe. Not a junior, but also a Joe. Uh, so his vanity knows no bounds. But um, yeah, another happy, healthy baby. Um, the missus is doing well, so nothing but love for for the Fortunato family and uh, the Blue Shirt Banner family growing a little bit. Not, not sure what sort of prospect he's going to turn into, but we'll have Adam take an eye, uh, take a close eye on it, check his knees, his toes, things like that, see if he's going to be a skater. Um, Tom, you have something to say already about this baby that we shouldn't be talking about, but we are. Well, I think it's a perfect sort of transition to sort of starting the show. You're talking about new members to uh, Joe's family. The uh, The Rangers have a new member of their extended family, and it comes uh, by the hiring of Chris Knobloch as the seventh head coach in the uh, history of the Hartford Wolfpack. And uh, it took a while for them to actually hire someone, but Mike, uh, I figure you're kick this one off because as soon as the rain uh the rangers had fired keith mccrainbridge after the season's end you wrote uh, an article looking at some candidates for the job and knoblock was on that list so just some initial thoughts on the hiring and then uh after that uh, adam can give his thoughts yeah i know adam adam liked uh seeing on twitter adam i know you like this hiring i liked I like the hiring, you know, he was most recently the assistant coach of Philadelphia where he was primarily um, in charge of the power play there, which was uh, not that great last season. I think it was 17th in the league or tied for 17th the year before. It was in the 20s, so he was kind of a mid-range power play there. But, you know, he was looked at as the power play coach there, but there's a lot more to the story than him being kind of a, a mediocre power play coach. Um, he was not not at all far removed from being the head coach of the Erie Otters, and before that, the Kootenai Ice. Um, he also won an OHL championship and was named the OHL Coach of the Year. So he's a younger guy. He's 40. Um, you know, this is something that Joe and I had talked about for a couple of weeks is when are we going to get this news on Hartford's head coach? And the Rangers finally made that move today. And uh, Adam, do you have any thoughts on this? I know you said in general you like this move. And this was a guy I know a lot of teams were interested in uh, to get behind their bench a couple seasons ago. And it seems like he was still kind of a hot commodity. Is that right? Yeah. And I mean, I mean, look, uh, this is someone I became familiar with, I would say, four, four or five years ago uh, when he was coaching in the OHL in Erie. Um, and at the time, it was kind of easy to just say, oh, well, he has Connor McDavid you know, among other players, that was a really good team. And yeah, like, they were all right, stacked, they're good. Yeah. yeah. Like Burakovsky was like their third best forward or something like, which in the OHL, like that's crazy. But anyway, you know, it was easy to say, Oh, they're only good because of that. But even after McDavid left and Dylan Strome left, like they were, they were still really good. Um, and, and I think like when you look at, um, that, that team, you know, and to say, what can, uh, 
what can he do for the Rangers? You're not looking at McDavid or Dylan Strome, but I look at a guy like Connor Brown, who was a late round draft pick, and he was, he's not a particularly skilled player, but he became a good hockey player in Erie um, under Chris Knobloch. I look at him, um, Darren Radish, who's now in the Rangers organization, um, and Greg McKegg. So we got we got that going on. We got that Gregory Pierre McGuire thing going on. Like Pierre is going to be traveling to Hartford just so you can point that point that out um, yeah. anyway uh <laughs> the other thing with with um with Knobloch is that he's extremely detail oriented um is what i've been told by a few people who who know him pretty well like he's i don't want to say similar to quinn because i th- think their personalities are different but along the same lines of that's what the rangers want right like that's what they wanted from quinn and that's what they want in hartford um, is a guy who's not going to, you know, just write tactics on the board and run drills and then go home. He's someone who's going to, you know, meet with every player, have a lot to say to each of them, coach them on the specifics of what he wants and and work with them, you know, all the way through. Uh, and finally, he's a guy who's really analytic, analytically uh, sound. He's, you know, it's kind of in vogue now. It's starting to become mainstream. But even four years ago, three years ago, he was someone who was really on this stuff. He was reading all of the you know the blogs and stuff even when it was kind of uh you know not cool <laughs> in mainstream yeah. hockey so he i think it's a great hire for the rangers yeah he is a younger guy right he's 40 he has yep. know, the experience he has and you know canadian major juniors both in both in erie and in kootenai and you know before he was the head coach in kootenai i think it was for two years but then he was behind the benches and assistant for a good chunk of time as well but there's a lot to like about him and tom before the show began you and i were talking about well, this is a point you raised that I like, which is this could be a guy who is in Hartford for, you know, maybe a couple of seasons and then is in a position to fill a different role in the organization, maybe down the road because of his potential. Yeah, what I thought was interesting is he's 40 years old um, and, you know, it's that's not that old in terms of, you know, for, for coaches you have around the league, you see that generally speaking most head coaches are retreads or people that were assistants elsewhere so for them to have someone as, as young as Knobloch and given the fact that they're going all in on this concept of a, of a build and developing and, and redoing things from the ground up he's someone that can be around see these kids grow and as they churn th- some of them through the system, um, you know, Lindy Ruff's not going to be around forever. Who knows what's going to happen, you know, uh, you know, with Greg Brown and some of the other assistant coaches the Rangers have where he could prove to be a natural fit on the bench. But um, it's good to see them go in a different direction, go in a progressive direction. And uh, I'm very excited about this move and one that was worth the wait. So another move that we had to wait a little while for and that came out before the show is Pavel Buchnevich signed the two-year bridge deal that almost everyone seemed to think and agree uh, is what he would end up with. It's a two-year deal with a AAV of $3.25 million, and that is in and of itself news that we can discuss. But, of course, the other side of this is the Rangers are now on a clock for this second buyout window that they were afforded because they had players file for arbitration. And so now, this Wednesday, at 5 p.m., that buyout window closes. It actually opened uh, just a couple hours before we started our record tonight. And first of all, Tom and Adam, you bo- um, I would imagine you're both pretty good with the Booch deal at two years, 3.25. 
I am. It's kind of what we expected, and by all accounts, Buchnevich wanted a bridge deal to sort of bet on himself. It's unfortunate that they're not in a position where, even though he does want to bet on himself, that they couldn't say, hey, you know, maybe we'll give you a longer deal with at a little higher term, um, because this is someone who, based on the line he could play on this year, I would say... He's going to trend up, and that means more money his way when this deal is done. But ultimately, this is the deal that he wanted to sign. So it's you can say, well, they should have done this, but you know, who who knows if he would have even signed uh, a long-term deal? Yeah, I mean, the only thing I can say that's negative is that you wish it was longer. And but yeah. just it's not even that they did something wrong this offseason. They're still paying their debts for mistakes from a few years ago um and, you know we'll get into that later but <laughs> yeah. in regards to in regards to Buchnevich, there wasn't really much they could do about it i think if it, they had to do a two-year deal for him which i guess they did you know 3.25 is um is a good value if anything i think by the end of it we're gonna say wow like that wasn't that was a good contract for a guy who's scoring 25 to 30 goals which you know fingers crossed but i think that's very much in the picture here and for that that money you know impossible to complain about it yeah the other guys who are going to be in that top six i feel like that is well within striking range for him which could make this deal look like a bargain but of course that means in turn it might cost the rangers a lot more to keep him around if that's the, Mm -hmm. the road they take two years from now but this also brings up this buyout window and Larry Brooks is, you know, one of the the loudest voices suggesting that Shattenkirk is this this inevitable um, kind of casualty. I think in a recent piece he said if Shattenkirk is still a Ranger, you know, Wednesday at 5:01 p.m. he would be very very surprised or something to that effect. Um, you know, we've talked about this a lot, Tom and Adam. You know, we've talked we've talked about it off air um, about how kind of how perilous it is to assume about 7.5 million in dead cap space if the Rangers do buy out Kevin Shattenkirk. I was wondering, Tom, can you try to put that into words for us? Why is it a bad idea to have 7.5 million in dead cap space? Um, It is just for the one season, but how punitive could that be to this team that, you know, it if any, like the Rangers will have a lot of ELCs and cheap contracts, but that doesn't mean they can get away with this scot free, does it? I would say the best example I can provide is a recent one on how even the smallest amounts of money uh, make a big deal. Uh, it was reported that throughout the whole process of free agency, that the Rangers were firm in their offer for Panarin, that they only wanted to go to. Uh, 11 million dollars a year and then the the Canucks decide that they're going to buy out Ryan Spooner and as a result what was once 900,000 on the cap for the Rangers became 300,000 so they gained 600,000 in space what was the contract that Panarin eventually signed 11.642 million now it's possible that posturing they were set on their number but it's just a little coincidental that that number rises by money that was just sort of gifted to them and you can say that it's you know whatever the difference is with Shattenkirk for this year they would gain that money next year it would be about six million on the cap and that 
differential money is money that you put towards you know someone that you're maybe trying to resign you want to sweeten the deal a little bit um you know hypothetically speaking maybe they wanted to keep Kreider and it's like oh i'll do it but i needed this amount um you know people can argue whether or not they should keep them but in this hypothetical if you are diverting dead money and you're unable to ante that up obviously you're in a bind you're sort of hurting your roster by having dead cap space and then again eventually these elc players are going to need new deals and you know if they hit bonuses and it's all these little pennies that they stack up stack up yeah and then it's money that you are sort of robbing peter to pay paul and it just doesn't make sense when you have better alternatives mark Stahl is a much better buyout for performance reasons and also the financial elements of it it's not as steep from year to year and you know i i thought it was interesting and when brooks is pointing it out he's saying oh this is what they would save up front this is what the dead cap space would be but you know he didn't mention in the piece that oh by the way next year the cap hit would be you know just over six million dollars yeah yeah i mean for me the biggest problem uh is i mean aside from just the obvious that it's you don't want dead cap space but it's one thing if you're a team like toronto or san jose or tampa bay where you're you're taking your lumps uh because it's just kind of the price the cost of business but with the rangers it's putting the cart before the horse i mean if if you're looking at six million or whatever it is in dead cap space in a season this is not a, a finished product. This is a still rebuilding team. Are they a lot better off now than they were a year ago? Absolutely. But like this defense is a major work in progress. They're putting a lot of faith in Jacob Truba being an $8 million player. They're putting in a lot of faith in Adam Fox and Tony D'Angelo being becoming mainstays. Um, the left side still a huge question mark. Like they're going to need cap space to make improvements. And, and second line center, you know, what's the deal there? It's either going to be a big extension for Heedle in that role at some point, or they need to fill it somehow. So you need cap space. You need the uh, malleability to make moves um, and and improve your team because the Rangers need to improve their team as much as anyone in the NHL. So to eat dead cap space and take away the ability to even to even improve let alone keep the team together um it's it's a real problem for them yeah there's a couple teams in the league i know that's i think washington and pittsburgh have spent right to the point where they have zero dollars in cap but they have their full roster there are also teams that are in there you know obviously at different stages i would argue especially in pittsburgh's case they're teams that are in that competitive window they expect to be deep cup you know deep cup run teams the rangers are a developing team they have a lot of pieces that they don't know about. It's not an ideal situation that they're in this position where they're already kind of, you know, trying to find room to fit everyone in. And like you said, you know, a little while ago, Adam, a lot of this is because of problems that Jeff Gordon inherited from Glenn Sather. And that is, of course, a big factor here. Tom, did you have a note to add? Yeah, the only thing, and it sort of piggybacks off of what Adam said, is it's it's putting you know a lot of faith in in players to um, you know live up to their potential into their paycheck, and it's it's something putting the cart before the horse is a good way to put it because we have a lot of faith, obviously, in these prospects, um, you know, some more than others, and we'll get into that in you know just a second. But if the Rangers are not as advanced as we would hope they're going to have to make 
more moves. And, you know, right now you sort of pencil in, you know, someone like Zibanejad as the number one center. He's under contract for three more years at age 26. And then you look and you would hope that, you know, someone like Philip Hedl, Leah Anderson, Brett Howden, they can, you know, hold that number two spot and then maybe the number one spot. But the last thing they want to do is get to the point where they're ready to contend. They have a lot of the pieces in place and need to add to it, but they're unable to make the moves that they need to. So that's why in a year where they're not slated to contend, you try to keep it as tight as possible so that you're not um, putting yourself in a disadvantage in these quote-unquote contending years going forward. Yeah, they have a lot of big question marks. Um, but I think now it's time for us to transition over to, you know, the reason Adam is here is, of course, he wrapped up his New York Rangers prospect rankings. And, you know, every year, I know members of the staff as well as all of our readers really look forward to this. Adam, you put just a, a butt ton of work into it. Is butt ton a thing? I know there's buttload and shit ton. It I'm going to make butt ton a thing. You put a butt ton of work into it. Um, you know, I read it all over again today um, in preparation for the show and was thinking about things I could ask you if I had the opportunity to ask you. And now I have this platform where I can just bother you about um, the methodology. But I wanted to start yeah. with how different was, you know, finding, you know, kind of coming to these, you know, these scouting reports, this analysis. How different was it with this year's class as opposed to years previous? Because it feels like this prospect pool is just so deep and also really interesting. You know, I was looking at, you know, there's the need for forward still. Like, there's just kind of a clear dearth of high-end forward prospects after mm -hmm. the top. and But there's also surprising depth among goalie prospects and all the depth among the D. But I wanted to let you just kind of take, take it away here and talk about what set this year's party kind of apart? Yeah, well, uh, for me personally, I guess the the good news was that the Rangers kind of drafted uh, in my wheelhouse, uh, for better or worse, and ju that's just to say, like, um, like when they drafted Matthew Robertson, I think it was 49th overall. Like, I already like could have written, I could have, and I basically did the next day, just write an entire profile on him so i had i did all my research i didn't watch a single game after they drafted him on him because i had everything i knew with carl henriksen i had some of it and just did a game or two to touch up uh and and so on so that's just personally so they did me a big favor there because with all the players they drafted it could have been a you know a big headache otherwise um but yeah, it, it was exciting to do, and especially because if you you look back at the list in 2014 or so, 2015, even 2016, um, there were notable prospects on there, but just the whole list itself was really kind of underwhelming, and it's a bit demoralizing to write just negative things. Um, first, just because it's just not fun for me. Second, because it's not fun for people to read. And third, because it's just not, you know you know that these are teenagers who are reading this stuff, even if it's against their better judgment. And so you never want to just say, Hey, yeah, like scouts are screwing up or Hey, like these dudes don't have what it takes and, and such. So it was really encouraging to be able to go, you know, and I'm, I'm looking at my list right now and there are guys in the 29, 30 range who have realistic NHL potential. Um, so it, it's, exciting for my own purposes to you know watch good players play and then write about them obviously and also just to put out a feel-good piece 
So one of the things that I noticed looking through your rankings, and it's it's apparent to really everyone, is that the the Rangers have a lot of defense prospects, and you know that's not that surprising considering that's sort of a, looks like an area the team has wanted to address. Everyone knows about Capocacco. Everyone knows about Vitaly Kravtsov, who's their number one and number two forward prospect. But uh, if you could, because I noticed he was someone that shot up the list this year. Morgan Barron at number eight. He rose from number 21 last year. Um, is there anything sort of surprising about him? I mean, he was a sixth rounder in 2017. Uh, so just sort of your thoughts on, on Morgan Barron. Yeah, uh, I wasn't surprised at what happened last year. I knew it was possible. I just, you know, I would have never um, bet big money on it. It was not something that I was super confident in um, because he's just kind of that talent. He's He has a lot of good attributes to his game, but there was a lot of questions about whether he could make that a meaningful product on the whole. Um, one, in terms of developing those skills, but two, also... Uh, be, having the smarts to use them, you know, it doesn't matter how big you are if you can't make play, smart plays with your size, and it doesn't matter how fast you are if you can't put that speed to use in, in the right areas of the game. And he he finally did that last year, and he, what he did was he made it a consistent effort. In his freshman season, it would be like one game, two games where you saw it, and then three games where you didn't. And so what he did last year was almost every game I saw was he was you know if not the best player on the ice in that top three range. Um, so I, I, he's someone that I think Rangers fans should be excited about because how many six-round picks are there that two years later you can you can feel confident that they will you know he will play in the NHL because um, I think that's that's where he's at. I'm not making any guarantees, but I would put it over fifty percent that he carves out an NHL career. Um, and you need that depth, especially like as we were just talking about, there are salary cap issues that are you know right now and inevitably they're going to come one way or the other because that just happens to every team basically um but if you want a guy who can fill in as a third liner on you know a cheap contract for three four years at least you know i think he's someone you can look to who will fill that role when they need it yeah he's a guy who i've also been very curious about i kept a close eye on him when i was doing my uh you know the, my weekly installments of checking in on you know players with statistical trends and he was just one of those guys this year just consistent he's always just got the job done and i know you said like when the rangers drafted him he was kind of an underdeveloped guy and it seems like he's finally yeah. hitting a stride now so um i was wondering because yeah. to kind of tie this back into knoblock a little bit adam you know we yeah. you've written a lot about how much of a mess it's been in hartford over the past two seasons mm. especially I was wondering, do you think, you know, there's someone in this group, you know, especially a new face is what we're talking about here, who's going to make an immediate impact there in Hartford? Is it someone like Joey Keene or is it maybe someone else you have your eye on? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, first, obviously, Adam Fox has to make the team, right? And if he doesn't, then he's a big, you know, an automatic guy you're looking at there. But let's say, assume he makes the Rangers. Yeah. Um, and then let's let's exclude Shesterkin because, you know, goalies are you know obviously you have an impact on the game for better or worse it's just the nature of the position so i think joey Keane is one guy for sure that you're looking at um because i think he's ready for pro hockey and by ready you know there's different levels to that um for some guys it's hey this guy can you know look 
not out of place in pro hockey. But I think Joey Keane will do more than that. I think he's going to be a legitimate, um, positive player for the for the Wolfpack next season. Um, just he has such a great combination of skating and, and hockey IQ. And by hockey IQ, I mean he reads the play so well on both ends. He is such a smart defender. He he understands which lanes to protect when it comes to odd man rushes. He's good at timing stick checks. And then on the offensive side, he's just a smart player with the puck. He knows when it's time to skate it out of the zone, when it's time to put it off the glass, when he can make the stretch pass. So uh, I think his game immediately translates to pro hockey. Um, And for him, it's just kind of about fine tuning a few things and getting it to that extra gear, which will determine if he makes the NHL. Um, And then, you know, another guy would be uh, Yegor Rikov. But again, he might make the the NHL. If if not, he's another guy that you're looking at. Like, this is a guy who's, you know, in his er, approaching mid-20s. I think he's 22 now. And he played you know 20 minutes per night in the khl on a pretty decent team so you would hope yes there's an adjustment period but you would hope he's someone who's locking big minutes in hartford if he's not in the nhl adam do you think there's anything maybe to keen getting a little bit lost in that london knights lineup with both boquist and evan bouchard there um you know also i think it was alec regula is also there another guy who yeah. put up a lot of points in terms of mm-hmm. that's like that's a lot of guys to take power playoff ice time away from a guy like Keane who has that who has that ability to move the puck do you think that might have been why you know maybe his counting stats didn't kind of jump off the page after he was dealt over to London yeah that's definitely it and there's always an interesting balance where you know on his other team Barry he was you know he was playing Drew Doughty minutes he was getting 30 minutes per night in every single situation possible with all their best players but that's a bad team Right, and so you could say, oh, well, his production is not so great because of that. And then the other end of the spectrum is London, where that team is just so absolutely loaded that um, players who would be the second best player on many OHL teams, like they're on the third line. Um, so yeah, so it's always that kind of interesting balance of how much do you weigh? You know, is it better to have, you know, better teammates or worse teammates? And so far as production, uh, you know, with him, I think it's no doubt that his production suffered because of London, but that's you know that that's unfortunate for statistical purposes but for his own development i think it was fine because in barry his former team that was really bad i think he was a bit overextended and he was a bit overwhelmed with all the responsibility and it's good that he was able to do those things for them but in and pro hockey like he's gonna be you know uh i think a depth defenseman who you know, plays the penalty kill and maybe second power play unit, but he's he's going to transition the puck, you know, up the ice, but he's not going to be a big-time producer in the offensive zone. And that's fine, and that's kind of what London allowed him to do because they had Boquist and Evan Bouchard, who were two elite, you know, offensive defensemen. Um, he barely got any power play time in, in London because of that, and he limited his touches in the offensive zone. Um, so don't let those statistics uh, confuse you. And in fact, I, I spoke to a, a, an NHL scout who said that, you know, once Keane joined London, his game really took off and that uh, he was, in fact, at times he was he considered Keane their best defenseman which is extremely high praise if you look at that. that wow, roster. yeah, that is, that so, is high praise so yeah. looking at some of the guys there, yeah. yeah. So that last sort of segment, it's 
concerning players that are going to be on Hartford next year. Um, the, the World Junior Summer Showcase is ongoing right now. You posted something on, on Banter today. Um, just sort of some initial thoughts on some of the players that you've seen so far and if there's you know a player that you're looking to to learn a little bit more about in this tournament obviously it's something that's you know you're not going to draw uh, a lot of weight from being right, it's right. it's so short but just you know your thoughts and who you're interested in seeing yeah so um it's been great seeing Ke- Keandre Miller and not because I'm learning so much about him now. Um, although you, you always pick up on things, but it's just reaffirm reaffirming to see that, okay, last season at Wisconsin wasn't a fluke. Like this guy is, you know, a really good defender, even against the best teenagers in the world. Um, he's been just an absolute monster for the U S um, so far in the tournament. Um, he cleans up like everything defensively just with his long reach and not only that but he reads the play well and and his skating is is the really uh it really puts it all together because reach is one thing but you know quick shifty defenders with puck skills they can figure ways around that but with his speed too it's just the way he closes down on players it's it's unbelievable how quickly he can do it um and I think he's going to be a really good shutdown defenseman in the NHL. Um, and I think as soon as next year, like I think for sure he's going to Wisconsin for another season. But once that season ends, uh, you know, in fact, like let's see where the Rangers are at and how, how soon his season ends. Could we see him on the Rangers blue line at the end of the season? I don't think it's impossible. Um, the player I'm looking to learn the most from well, it's it's the goaltender Olaf Lindbaum because he, you know, surprising second round pick last year, and then he an injury kept him out for most of last season. Um, so I want to see him play. He hasn't yet, but he will get games for Sweden. But Zach Jones is someone I wanted to see because he looked very good in the USHL. Um, but the USHL is a good league, but not a great league. And so now he's playing against you know so much better competition. It's a major step up. He's survived it. He looks okay. He's had some good moments with the puck. Um, definitely his skating has come as a bigger weakness than I anticipated from the start. But he's he's looked good and he survived cuts today. So we're learning uh, a lot about him. And he, he looks to be another, you know, he reaffirms that he was a good draft pick for the Rangers. I'm not typically the sort of person who, who asks for these things or wants to do these things, like the parallels of prospects to, to current players, Adam. But watching, watch the Blues very closely um, in you know the, their playoff run and their cup win. And in that playoffs, like Colton Pareko's value was just so conspicuous. He's just so good. Yeah. And I wonder if there's a little bit of of Colton Pareko and Keandre Miller in his mobility and size, his ability to use his reach and his kind of surprising athleticism. Like Colton Pareko yeah. makes little plays to get out of trouble. Or also, like you said, like he being paired with Jay Bomeister, he cleaned up a lot um, mm. all playoffs and all season long for the Blues. And I wonder, is that something maybe kind of, not maybe not a direct comparison, but a similar mold, that big mobile defenseman who's just so good at doing all these little things, and you get the feeling yeah. like, yeah, maybe he's not going to be a power play quarterback or anything like that, but that doesn't mean he couldn't turn into like a, a foundational piece on this blue line. 
Yeah, I think that's a pretty good comparison. Obviously not perfect, but like you said, we weren't aiming for perfect there. It's a general idea for fans to understand what kind of player he can be. I think I think he could become the player that a lot of people think Tyler Myers is. Uh, you know, kind of that just he's a huge hulking defenseman who just makes so many plays, but he also has surprising, you know, ability for his size, which, you know, at a time was true for Tyler Myers, not so much now. And even then it was exaggerated, but I, I, I just, it's hard to find comparisons because like, you know, I pointed this out in my write-up of him for the prospect rankings, you know, how many six, five defensemen are there in the NHL who can skate super well, contribute offensively or, you know, just, shut down defensemen it's just every team drafts guys like that you know big defensemen in like the fifth through seventh rounds hoping that that's gonna become what they you know that that guy will become chara and i'm not saying miller will become chara which you know that's that wasn't the point there but like the rangers have that unicorn that yeah big defenseman who can also skate and play hockey and 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 use his size in a meaningful way to actually dominate the opposition Kind of changing gears now to a defense, a defensive prospect who has kind of been a disappointment, I would say. I was wondering, you know, watching Sean Day fall in your prospect rankings, Adam, I'm wondering, is it, are we, you know, he's still, you know, it's not someone we want to completely write off yet, but are, is the window of him becoming an NHL defenseman like very close to closing or has it, in your opinion, mm. already kind of closed? So, <laughs> Sean Day continues to be as... Uh, frustrating, say, confusing, or even, not yeah. even just that. It's just kind of like <laughs> up in the air. Yeah. Right? It's like, it's always been like, you know, when he was 17, when the Rangers drafted him, all right, can he put it together? And then a year later, was it, can he put it together? And we're still kind of there. Um, the first half of his season was Hartford, as I wrote, was, was horrendous. Like, he did not look, he looked completely out of place in the, the AHL. And not even because just Hartford was a bad team, which I've noticed has become. Uh, kind of a convenient out for prospects in, in at least in the minds of a lot of fans which is it's fair to a degree but you know every time a player does badly in Hartford it's oh well Hartford's been bad right sure but even still like you gotta look like an AHLer and Sean Day didn't and he was sent down to the ECHL and at that point I was pretty much close to right off territory but yeah the second half of his season was was so good and I'm not saying like wow, like this guy was banging on the door for a, for an NHL call up, but he was other than John Gilmore, he was their best defenseman uh, the second half of the season. He finally like found confidence to make plays that he was making the, in junior hockey. Um, his defense still needed work, but it wasn't just completely porous the way it was at the start of the season. Uh, and he was putting up decent point production. Um, his fall in the rankings was partially because, yeah, like he had a really horrendous start to this season, but also, you know, it's kind of just a product of the prospect pool. Like, you look at all the players they added. Um, yeah, when you add Capo rises. Caco and you add all the right. guys they drafted in the second yeah, and third rounds. Yeah, I mean, like I'm looking guys at my top down ten. the list, yeah. Yeah, and I look at my top ten now. One, two, three. Yeah, three guys in the top ten and then a whole bunch in the teens. <laughs> Uh, who are new to the organization. So that's part of it. Um, I think Knobloch is a great coach for him. And I, I think this season is kind of do or die, not in terms of making the NHL, but like if he does not look like, if he's not progressing in Hartford this season, then forget it. But if he's making strides, 
um, then you know it, it'll be good for him. And I, with Knobloch, the reason I say that is there's some pro- play, prospects like they're going to go to Hartford and they're just gonna, they're going to do it on their own. They're either an NHL or, or they're not. But Sean Day, he's a talented player who needs guidance, and he just he didn't have it last year in Hartford because the coaching staff was just uh, was non-existent basically. So. I think Knobloch, he's extremely, like I said, extremely detail-oriented. He's He talks to his players. He's very understanding. He He's a smart tactical coach, which is what Shonde really needs. So he'll need someone to, you know, to get him to use his physical abilities to make plays. And, and uh, you know, um, I, I think Knobloch is a great guy to get that from him. And if it doesn't happen, so be it. Um, but I wouldn't write him off yet. If you were at Hogwarts, Adam, and you had a wand, and you could change one aspect of Sean Day's game, is it consistency or is it something else? Some other facet of his game that maybe just hasn't caught? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I mean, you're in your Ravenclaw robes. I'd imagine you'd be Ravenclaw. it's just kind of like confidence, uh, because like he just he has the ability and you see it sometimes but he just had like lacks existential like purpose sometimes and um he, he just needs guidance like he just he needs someone to tell him what to do and he needs someone who's going to do it in the right way who's not going to just like put it on the video board once and in, in you know in group video sessions and then expect him to, sh- to show up on the ice he needs a lot of hands-on training but with that would build confidence and i think that's what he needs just the confidence to understand like yes these are my abilities and i can make these plays and i can do this consistently and you know one mistake or one bad game shouldn't send me over the edge here um i you know uh i i, th- I think that's it so i have um a somewhat serious question. Yeah. Not that Mike's question wasn't serious. Yeah. This is really serious stuff here, hockey. Yeah. So, I sort of had a an interesting. It's it's in sort of an interesting question. It's something I've been thinking about, and <clears throat> obviously the ages are different, the experience expectations are different, but um, everyone's talking about obviously the addition that Capo Caco has to the organization from the standpoint of potential and. The fact that, you know, he's a a shiny new toy in the sense that he's going to command a lot of attention. Yeah. So his joining the organization and most likely the team this year, who do you think it's going to benefit more in terms of, uh, you know, producing this year in terms of managing expectations? Is it going to be someone like Kraftsoff who's making the jump to North America or is it going to be someone like Philip Heedle, who we all are very high on, um, and it's he does have a lot of potential, but last year we sort of saw he was going through some of the growing pains. Um, do you, Who do you think Kaka will help more from uh, just joining the team? Yeah, I think it's going to be Heedle, and the reason I think that is with, with Kravtsov, there's pressure, of course, like any prospect, let alone any, you know, prospect in in new york but he's still 19 years old and like let's say the preseason just does not go well for him and he gets sent to hartford 
there's not going to, aside from the crazies, which there always are, you know, right? The just the knee-jerk reactionaries who will be flipping out. But I think most people will understand, like, all right, he's a teenager who's making a big leap to North American hockey. Um, and, and so I think he'll be able to still develop at his own pace here. Uh, because there's just not pressure on him to to contribute right away with Panarin and Buchnevich and and um, and Cock and Kako, right? Um, I look at Hedl as someone who more immediately benefits. One because they might end up on a line together, right? Uh, I would I would you know I I think their games would go to well together. But anyway, even if not, like all the attention is going to be on Kako and. Um, and to an extent Panarin as well, and then maybe even Adam Fox, and you know we can go up and down the list here. But Hedl had a good season last year, not a perfect one, but yet a good one. Um, and I think he was a bit unlucky, as I wrote in the you know the top twenty four under twenty four list. I think he could have had even more points than he did. Um, so he's someone that you're looking for growth from next year. You're looking for him to finally take on a permanent top nine role, if not top six. Uh, maybe figure out the second line center position. Um, and if you want him to do that, one, just in terms of on the ice, you want him to have good players who can support the puck. And Kako's great for that. You know, there, there are certain wingers, like a Phil Kessel, as good as he is, he's not someone you want to pair with a center who needs help on supporting the puck. Kako is someone who's going to win battles. He's someone who's going to s- circle back, um, you know, to the middle of the ice to receive passes and and, and battle for pucks and, and make plays and, you know, serve as a good, uh, you know, passing partner in the offensive zone as well. So I, I think Kaku is going to help a lot of players in a lot of ways like that. And I think you look at Hedl, that's someone who he needed help last year. He wasn't getting it. And now he's going to get it. Just one more prospect question for you here, Adam. Yeah. Um, Tarmo Roininen is a guy who I think a lot of Rangers fans have gotten, you know, pretty hyped up on. I think yeah. you had him as someone who maybe in the last 12 months is arguably one of the highest risers among the Rangers prospects. When it comes to a guy like that who, you know, the Rangers did sign and, you know, maybe, like, I think you, you phrased it really well, like, he had kind of, like, ugly duckling seasons, or I think that's the language you used. Right. I was wondering, do you have to maybe, how much do you look at, like, the context of his performance and wonder if there's something anomalous going on there, or is this just a case of this kid kind of figuring it out? Well, the thing with Roininen is that going into his draft year, he was viewed as a likely top 60 selection. This was before Vegas was around, so first two rounds ended at 60. Um, so this isn't, you know, someone who was just kind of, you know, out of nowhere showed off talent, right? Like, he, we, we always knew he had talent, and injuries took its toll, and just he was not in a good situation at TPS, which was his team in Finland. They just combination of they had too many good defensemen but also the coaching staff just kind of unfairly did not trust him because uh, he was pl- there were times where he would play better than his other teammates but for whatever reason he would kind of get the uh the brunt of the whip whenever the team lost a game or such and he'd be dropped on the lineup um so look i i think he's someone that um he's, he's a legit prospect i think there's been a bit of an overcorrection and I think people have taken the excitement about him to mean like this is a top prospect, which is not really it. I think it's more that, hey, this guy has a real chance. Um, and I think when we're talking chance, I think we're looking at four to six defensemen. And yeah. 
But look, like again, like this was a guy who was a fourth round pick, and the Rangers kind of took a flyer on, and then he had two really, you know, poor seasons. Not fully his fault, but just optics wise. And so, you're looking at a guy who's going to go to, you know, it looks like he's going to play in Hartford next year, uh, and he has a legit, legit shot at becoming a depth NHL defenseman. Like that, that's great. It's a big win, really. And sure. really, we don't hear that story a lot, where a prospect really has those two years of growing pains and things look like they're going to be stagnant or just continue in that kind of parallel movement where you're not seeing that progress then something clicks so yeah. it's a success story mm-hmm. in that way as well yeah it's it's great the uh you always you always hope but a lot of time it doesn't work out where you go yeah this guy's talented or he's had injuries issues and you just kind of hope he can overcome it and you know nine out of ten times it doesn't happen but there's always that one out of ten time which which is why you know you stick with it and you 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 draft in the late rounds and such and he's he's found a way to make it work uh you know does will he make the nhl that's a whole other you know hurdle for him to climb but he's in the discussion which uh he really wasn't a year year ago so it's it's great well, Adam, thank you so much for digging into your prospect pool even more and breaking down your rankings and some of your thoughts on those guys. We're gonna, I'm sure we're going to mm-hmm. have some more questions about prospects in uh, Off the Post. Sure. See, Tom, I remember the name of the shows. I told you I would. You um, always had it in you. Yeah, I had it in me. Um, Noticing okay. how much more smoothly this goes without Joe. You know, great. I wasn't going to say it, Adam, because he's welcoming in a couple days old. What do you say when it's just newborn? How long is a baby newborn? I'd say like a month, month and a half. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like anyway, prospects. You're waiting for the baby. new prospects after the old ones, you know. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, as always, a big thank you to our patrons: Adam Nahowick, Aiden Gaspar, Alex Gardner, Amriel Kistner, Andre Chicagov, Anthony Viola, Arch Williams, Bob Kawa, Bobby Callahan, Chris Habibi, Chris Lucas, Chris O'Connor, C.J. Vivola, Clark Carroll. Clark Carroll sounds like an outstanding, like a. Uh, secret name for a superhero like Clark Kent but better uh, Craig Lachlan Dan Carosi Dan Zapor not sure if I got that one right Daniel DeGen Danny Santiago David Elsinger Eric Cohn Eric Carlson Fancy Lawrence Gabriel Vargas 50 Igor Zaslavsky James Dangles Jeffrey Stein Jermaine Francis John and John this was I was looking at the names before I read them P-R-Z-E-D Pelsky John Zed Pelsky. Zed Pelsky. John P. John Reppy. Johnny Alo, Jordan Sassone. Joshua Zarkin. Keith Franchello. Manny from SC. Matt from Brooklyn. Mediogre. Michael Canick. Michael Marcus. Michael Scott. Michael Silvers. Mike Offit. Panarin 2020. Sammy Vogel. Stephanie Benvito, I believe it is. Yeah, Benvengo, because... Patreon cuts off your name because it's rude. Sorry about that, Stephanie. Stink Fleeman, Tall Guy Rob, The Tin Man, Thomas Osa, Toy from Manhattan, Trevor Kempner, and WMM339, which sounds like a uh, oh, wow. like the next wave of Star Wars droids there. Uh, thank you all to all of our wonderful patrons. Thank you, Adam and Tom. Have any parting, uh, parting words for the lovely, lovely people, Tom? Uh, just my customary whenever I go on the show, just to have your back. Uh, you know, uh, Joe is a whale. Oh, beautiful work. Adam? I just want to thank you for pronouncing all the names right, because some, some people don't do that. I'm not going to name names, but it's true. It's like Tyler Seguin? Yeah, that's that's a classic. And with that, and with that, we say goodbye. See